Here we are then. And this must be our third session, I think, Saturday afternoon. And this afternoon's session is um, Your Heart is a Garden. My life is a garden and your life is a garden. And uh, with apologies to Philip Keller who wrote this, I always tinkle about a bit with the uh, poetry that I find and change it. I've changed this slightly, but the essence is still there. And he says this, My heart is a garden, your heart is a garden. Is it a waste, untilled and wild, like an untaught and untrained child? Or is it good soil in the master's hand? Is my soul his own cherished land? Is it grown thick with thistles and weeds? Or has it been sown with his good seed? What's the harvest that comes from this life? Goodness and love? Or hatred and strife? O oh Lord, take this heart, this heart of mine, and make it all completely thine. Only then will it ever yield the present fruits of a godly field. And Song of Solomon 4 verse 12 says this in the Amplified Bible. A garden enclosed and barred is my sister, my promised bride, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The Garden of the King, uh, alluded to in scripture as paradise, always contained a fountain from which only he could drink. And in this passage from the Song of Songs, we see that the Shepherd King speaks of his espoused as an enclosed garden and a closed fountain. She shut up to him and him alone and he to her. What does the king see when he comes to stroll in the garden of your heart? Can he freely access your heart? Or is it barred and the fountain which resides there shut up to him? I just want you to consider if your heart is a garden, what does it look like? Is it tilled and tended or is the door overgrown with brambles and weeds? Is it all nicely and neatly laid out? Or has it got patches there in the corner that could do with being turned over? Little neglected parts. Or does it look good when you just first look at it and then you suddenly find that behind the wall there's something else and bits of old rubbish chucked over the fence? Hidden bits where we don't want him to get in. We all come to the place in our Christian walk where we recognise that actually we're not here for us, but for him. And Genesis 2, um, 8 in the message says this, Then God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put the man he'd just made in it. God made all kinds of trees grow from the ground, trees to look beautiful, to look sorry I'll start again trees beautiful to look at and good to eat the tree of life was in the middle of the garden also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the first garden God placed man and wife and told them be fruitful and multiply have dominion and I will walk with you in the cool of the day God is heavily into gardens and vineyards 
A garden is neither common ground nor ground for planting things at random. It's for the production of something, for both beauty and for pleasure. In a garden there may be trees but not for timber. They may be there for fruit or simply for the pleasure of enjoying their beauty. They're there to flower and show forth blossom. In the passage we've looked at in the Song of Songs 4 verse 12, a garden enclosed and barred is my sister, my promised bride, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The beloved maiden has now come to a position in the spirit where she knows she is of delight and satisfaction to the Lord. She is beginning to walk with him in bridal understanding. She has come to the realisation that after all she doesn't exist for herself alone, but she is there for the pleasure and satisfaction of her bridegroom lover, and this knowledge thrills her heart. If you've never read it, I really would recommend a little tiny book called um, Song of Songs, written by Watchman Nee, and he goes through the four stages of the maiden's love, from faltering love right through to mature love, and it's really very educational. And you can pick out where you are, actually, by reading it. You can see exactly where you're at. So she's the beloved of God. She walks under his smile of affection and pleasure. She revels in his possession of her heart. All her beauty is for him alone. He alone sees the garden of her heart and she walks in an intimate relationship with him. Her heart isn't merely a garden but a garden enclosed which includes a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The implication here is that her heart is exclusively for the bridegroom's pleasure. Her heart's a garden indeed but not a public garden. It's for the exclusive use of the king himself, the paradise of God. You are inside his heart and he is inside yours. How does that make you feel? That your heart is primarily the place where God wants to meet with you and dwell with you. How does it make you feel that he should love you so much he is jealous to be the single desire of your heart? Permission is granted to give a life of to live a life of expectancy and delight, beloved. And I'd like now, if you would, that you just take some time, and those of you listening on CD, stop the CD, and just take a few moments to picture the garden of your heart. If you're a writer, you might want to write down what you see. If you're an artist, you might even have a stab at drawing it. Just have a look-see. How much of your heart really is his? How much is open to him? Is the fountain his alone to drink from or do you share it with other people? Just take some time now to be with the lover of your soul. Amen. Okay, here we come to the fourth session. Sunday morning. 
so you've had plenty of time to think about what's already been said hopefully you've slept well and dreamt beautiful dreams and we're going to start off this morning with this, the statement what you think about God is the most important thing in your life you may disagree with that statement but that's the truth of the matter, matter unless we recognize that we were made for this love relationship with our creator and begin to move in that direction all we will have is religion without relationship worship is in our DNA we all worship something maybe it's the football team you support but worship is in us because that's the way God created us and if you want to explore this whole uh, thought, m this concept more deeply, Louis Giglio has written a little book called The Air I Breathe. And its subtitle is Worship as a Way of Life. It is well worth reading because it brings us back to the central pivot of what we were actually created for, to worship him. We weren't created so that he can meet our needs. We were created to worship. He created us with a desire to put him at the centre of everything. And that desire was lost at the fall. That poem that I read just a little moment ago, The Bride, or yesterday, whenever it was, um, was something I wrote after a time of meditation. I don't write poetry. And it moves me every time I speak it because I know it's come from God. We are dim even though we are redeemed. We don't understand. Back, back turned, hidden. We're still running from him even though we are redeemed. We haven't got a clue, beloved, of the desire in his heart towards us. So it's no coincidence that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the centre of the garden because we exchanged our God centre for man centre. We became self-centred and off-centre. And when we're born again from above, God begins to restore that which was lost to us, our ability to put him at the centre of our lives. But everything in us resists his work. By now we have filled his place with a multitude of things, people and information. So that's our primary battleground, to regain our own inner territory. Everything you gain by listening to this teaching of, if you're here over this weekend, will be contested. Expect it. You must expect it. It is part of your growth process. The enemy will fight you over this. It's his job to contest what God is establishing in you in order that you may be strong in the Lord. And in the next and last weekend, we're going to be looking at going beyond your experience, going beyond what you currently know to something higher, deeper, longer, broader than you have ever dreamed and living there. But for today, I want to... Uh, bring things together just by giving you a few ideas to meditate on as you leave today. And the first thing is that we are called to live in the secret place of God's own heart. That is meant to be our dwelling place. 
because in that place he shelters us from the attacks of the enemy. He comforts us and strengthens us with his kindness and his grace. And the goal, the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit in you is to promote your inner man, your interior life, the life in the interior castle of your heart. You have a citadel inside you, it's your heart, it's where you live from and what comes out of your mouth tells everyone around you what goes on in your heart. The moment you open your mouth, you tell people who you are. So, what's coming out of yours? So the purpose of the Holy Spirit within is to promote the inner life of the Spirit, the inner man over the soul, to bring us to a place where we no longer live in our soul but in our spirit. It's a process and we need to acquire certain disciplines in order to cooperate with his ministry to us. And as I said before, those, at, those disciplines are on the sheet that I read when we started on Friday. They are on that sheet. Um, so read them, use them. Don't just file them away or write on the back of them your shopping list. They are there to help you. And for those of you listening on CD, they were right at the beginning of the CD. I went through them for you. So you're not missing anything. As we allow his lordship in our lives, we become occupied with Jesus. We learn to be conscious of him, not just when we're having that quiet time, but 24-7. We learn to run to him, not away from him, when problems present themselves. When trouble hits, he's with us in the struggle. So in a weird way, we come to enjoy our struggles because he is with us in them. And he'll either deliver us from the situation or keep us in it as we go through in unbroken contact with him. This is where we learn how much he wants to be our refuge, our hiding place, our place of shelter. We are learning to live in the secret place of his affections for us. The fact is that our low threshold of faith often takes us out of God's care because we think we have to do everything ourselves, little realising that he loves to protect us. So the first place we must learn to run to in times of trouble is to him, into his great heart. God is our keeper. Again, I would recommend uh, Graham Cook's book, God's Keeping Power. If you do not know God as your keeper, or even if you have started to know him as your keeper, that little book, that journal, was, is extremely good to just keep going over and over to establish yourself in the fact that he has undertaken to keep you. So in John 17, verse 12, 15 and 16, we hear this. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
and Psalm 121 I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to slip he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade upon your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. That's one of the Psalms of Ascents. And David says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Why is he doing that? He's looking up because he's going up to the temple of the Lord on Mount Moriah and he's going up to worship so as he ascends the hill he looks up to the place where he's going to meet God you will come into trouble in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer Jesus said and God might be silent in that trouble he is simply waiting for you to be still long enough for him to show you his solution to your current problem and what he wants to be to you in that whatever you are in he wants to display a part of his nature to you we have to get still in order to hear that and enjoy that so everything everything in our lives is an opportunity for growth I'm truthful I don't like it either because I like life to be a bit smooth but actually it's the bumps that we grow on and the other thing happening here is that Holy Spirit is teaching us to turn inwardly to our inner man because the kingdom is within us it's not out there somewhere on the ether it is within the government of God is within us. We are no longer under the government of our fallen nature or Satan. Our lives are under the government or control of God to the extent that we will allow it. The life of God flows from within us bubbles up flowing out of our mouths in confession thanksgiving praise prayer and worship thanksgiving in times of trouble must become the first thing we do because that's the will of God for us that we confess his name his faithfulness and the fact that he is with us in this stuff 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us it, doesn't it? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We aren't thanking him for the dose of problems that have just arisen, but for the fact that he is with us in it. Jesus is always in the same boat as his disciples. Luke 8.22 and 23 shows us this. Now it came to pass on one of those days that as he entered into a boat himself and his disciples and he said to them let's go over to the other side of the lake and they launched forth but as they sailed he fell asleep and there came down a storm of wind on the lake 
and they were filled with filling with water and were in jeopardy. These guys were seasoned sailors and here they are trying to get to the other side and they are in peril. They are in danger of losing their lives. Jesus is asleep, they're in jeopardy and they go on to say, don't you care if we drown? Graham Cook is absolutely hysterical on this one. He says he thinks Jesus was saying, go on dad, whip up a real storm, let's see what these guys are made of. And he wasn't asleep at all, but had one eye open. The point is that he didn't say, let's drown in the middle of the lake. He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. So the lesson in this is hold your course in the storm. And you hold it by keeping going straight, not turning to the left or the right. And you hold it by telling him you trust him. You know he's with you in it, confessing your fear letting him comfort and reassure you and allowing him to show you what he wants to be for you in this. All that you couldn't have got if you hadn't had the storm. The I am is with us. He's present with us now and we learn to rest, dwell and remain in the secret place of his heart. God has placed us in the one place where we can always get our prayers answered and our needs met, in Christ. Our part is to stay where we're placed. The enemy's goal is to take us out of what God has put us into. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to keep us in this place of rest, security and anointing. So we must labour to stay where we've been put. We must make it our life's goal to live from that inner place. The Holy Spirit is your teacher and he loves to show you how to do this. So we must be preoccupied with entering that place every day because he will refresh and renew you on a daily basis. His call is for you to come to the secret place, the centre of God's heart, the inner man. God will be your refuge there, your hiding place, where nothing and no one can touch you. His spirit will mingle with yours, taking you into new dimensions of rest and peace in his presence. Rest is something that happens when we make the choice to fall back into the everlasting arms. Everything flows effortlessly as we learn to stay where we've been placed in Christ. As we continually practice his presence, living in that secret place, living in him, everything he is will be released inside of us and will rise up and come out of our mouths. Transformation will take place. Live in the spirit man and God will live in us. His life in us will become a present reality. Okay, people, we will stop there and take a break and uh, God bless. Thanks for listening again. I'm no good at counting. I think this is probably the fifth session. Um, but what I want to talk about this afternoon and just before you we break really is um, the result of intimacy 
because the result of intimacy will be intimidation. So the, the um, title of this last session is Intimacy and Intimidation. I did mention it earlier on, but it's very important that you get this anchored in you, that you don't go out in a warm fuzzy and then not realise what's going to happen. Intimacy will be contested by the enemy. But God has always promised to drive out our enemies before us. So in Exodus 23, 20-30, we see this. It's headed up, God's angel to prepare the way. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Hivites, Canaanites and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. It's he that leads us in power and triumph to possess the land of his promise. And the basis of the power is the cross of Jesus. He has overcome and we are learning to live in his overcoming nature. In the letters to the churches in Revelation, Jesus says, Make these changes. I want you to endure and overcome. We cannot be overcomers without something to overcome, so you will have obstacles in your life. It is by faith and patience that we inherit. Hebrews 6 verse 12 We focus on Jesus and not on ourselves. Therefore praise is vital and it's also vital that we develop an attitude of gratitude that in all circumstances he is with us and he is for us and that is what we're thanking him for. Thank you Father you're with me in this and in this he will either keep you through it or deliver you either way you'll win. So we have a fight on for our inheritance. We are going into the promised land where we meet a whole new bunch of enemies. We're young soldiers, never seen warfare before, and we are learning how to use our weapons correctly without shooting ourselves or our own soldiers in the process. We are going to learn to war a good warfare with the enemy.
When Israel entered the promised land, they were all young men who hadn't known battle. All the older men had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Joshua led this untutored and untrained rabble into the land. They were on a steep learning curve. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Before we face the enemy, we, we must learn to face God. Because we are in Christ, we have the victory. Our inheritance isn't geographical, as was Israel's. Ours is a person, and his name is Jesus. As we stand in Christ and enter our spiritual inheritance, God sets the boundaries of what's going to happen. Satan can do nothing except God allows it, it's a comforting thought. If he allows it, it's for our ultimate profit. So that said, what I want to speak about now for a few moments is um, the armour of God. And most Christians I speak to tell me that they put the armour on every day. And I'd never quite understood uh, what they meant when they said this. At least I hadn't until recently. Because I... I didn't understand, I had nothing to challenge their belief with, you know, that they're saying I'm putting on the armour, and but I'm thinking this, there's something wrong with this, it's just like a parroting something. So I heard some teaching by Graham on the subject, and he said that the traditional view of the armour is that we are held up by the truth, covered by integrity, walking in peace, protected by faith, our mind is renewed, Scripture is the sword, and we're walking in effective prayer. I hadn't even heard of that one. All I'd heard of was people saying they were putting this armour on. I knew it was allegorical, if that's the right word, but I still didn't understand what exactly the armour was. So I'm just going to try this one out on you. The first one is the belt of truth. And he explained that the first thing that the enemy will try to take out is your mind. He will lie to you. So what you need is the belt of truth, which is the word of God. And not just the general word, but the word that God is giving you in your particular situation, the rhema word. This is why it's so important to get still when you have a problem. Still enough to hear what he's saying. The enemy's strategy is to destabilize us, throw us off course, demoralize us, tell us we're no good, and finally subvert our will so that we give up and join his camp of negativity and unbelief. So what we need is the word that God is saying in our current circumstance. His word to us for this moment, we need revelatory knowledge, not general truth. That is your belt of truth. Revelatory knowledge for you in that particular situation. The word of God for you in that situation. When I had a problem with my eyes some six, seven years ago, three days I waited to hear a word from God. And he said that the spirit that rose, that 
which raised Christ Jesus from the dead would also quicken my mortal body. And I knew from that where promise was that my sight would be all right. I had a word for my situation, not the general word of scripture, but my specific word to rest in that situation. This is what God is going to do for me. So I proclaimed it and I declared it. And the next is the breastplate of righteousness. So the second thing we learn to do is to put off condemnation. And we do that by focusing on God's righteousness as a platform for our faith. So that the breastplate of righteousness is the covering of God, which means we focus on our acceptance by God as his child and not our performance as a believer. You will always find that the battle is there between your performance and your acceptance. So your breastplate is his righteousness and your acceptance before God. In the imputed righteousness of Christ, that which we are given in him, we are accepted in the beloved plus nothing. So it is all about acceptance, not performance. You cannot work your way into this. It's a gift, his righteousness. So there's your breastplate. And peace. The third thing is to learn to operate from a place of peace and rest. Our feet shod with peace. Rest is a weapon that the enemy cannot penetrate. Be prepared for God's peace to make a difference. Look for peace, work for peace, stay in peace and stand in peace. Your feet shod means you know how to stand on the battlefield. Psalm 23 says, He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Will you have the soup or the melon? The enemy wants to get you hopping all over the place, panicky, distressed, anxious, worried, fearful. Therefore, rest and peace our weapons. We have to cultivate the ability to step back into God. Don't allow yourself to be pushed into panic. Step back into him. Let his peace surround you. You'll have plenty of opportunities to practice this particular discipline. Wait in God as well as on him. This is an important discipline we're all learning, this active waiting. It's not passive. Make a list of all the things he is to you. Father, what I really love about you is X, Y, and Z. It's active. I'm not waiting on you to do something. I'm just here worshipping you, Lord, getting into your presence. Sometimes the enemy is simply looking for a quick kill. He wants to flip you over as quickly as he can. And if he can't achieve this, he'll likely walk away. One final word on this one. Never, ever, ever fight the enemy from a place of no peace. Because you'll move in presumption and you won't hear the Lord properly. You don't go onto the battlefield until he tells you. 
So practice focusing on Jesus in your mind and heart. Practice turning and yielding in your heart to the Lord. Thank him for peace. Don't try to feel it. Just thank God and peace comes. You receive peace. You don't reach out and grab it. It comes through worship, thanksgiving and praise. This is why God says in everything give thanks. It's the doorway to receiving everything we need in our circumstances. So we need to be the most thankful and grateful people on the planet. We need a spirit of gratitude in our lives. And our first response to everything, good, bad or indifferent, thank you, Father. I bless you. I'm not grateful something's gone wrong. I am grateful that you're here with me in the circumstances. So I'm just going to worship you here because I know that you're doing something. I know that you've planned something here for me. So you're expressing your confidence. You're going to him. You're resting and you're finding your peace and you're staying in it. Your shield of faith. And the fourth thing is that things may get worse before they get better. The result of warfare is nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with God. Focus on him. He gives you a shield of faith so that you can stand. The enemy's arrows are always aimed at your mind. Take those thoughts captive. Again, it's a discipline. Don't let them wander off. That's where your emotions catch up and fear is your companion. I expect you've noticed that fear never travels alone. He always brings anxiety and panic with him. It's like wolves, they hunt in packs. And the helmet. Be active in faith then. Be watchful, be prepared and set your mind on God. Wear that helm helmet of salvation and use your now word, which is the sword of the spirit. The now word is the sword in your hand. You've got two swords. The rhema word, the now word. Remember I gave you an example a few moments ago. The spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also quicken my mortal body. There's my sword. And the general word of scripture. And the general word of scripture could be something like Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon falls against me will prevail and I will refute every tongue that accuses me I'm personalizing it this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me declares the Lord so you have that plus your specific word for your circumstances you stand on one and use the other you confess the now word of God confess is to agree with God so you speak to God in confession, in praise, in faith-filled statements, and you speak to the enemy with faith-filled authority. Thus saith the Lord, no weapon. Wearing the whole armour like this, we stand before God. This releases unhindered prayer and ministry, and we can carry on even when we're under attack. So, thank you so much for listening. 
I really do trust that all of you, including those listening on the CD, will find themselves in a different position before God than you were when we started. Be blessed now and live in the land of your inheritance. Amen. <laughs>